What's up everybody, GenX Dividend Investor here. In this video I share 10 cheap dividend stocks with at least 10 consecutive years of dividend increases, all of which are 15% or more underpriced relative to one-year target estimates of mine as well as professional analysts, and which includes multiple aristocrats, a king, and one stock that should become an aristocrat this year. But I warn you not to invest just because you see them in a video. The reality is that any stock could literally fall 90% or whatever tomorrow, and me estimating that a stock is underpriced does not mean it will go up in the future. A lot of investing is about getting the majority of your investing theses right, not about getting all of them right. And be aware that this isn't a stock analysis video. I'm just going to be sharing a few relevant pieces of info about these companies, but you should always dig much deeper to understand a business's financial statements, trends, risks, competition, etc. before ever doing any investing. Finally, at the end of this video, I'll explain something I've shared in previous videos, which is how stock prices follow earnings and gravitate towards intrinsic value, which to me is actually the most important takeaway. So please do me a favor and hit that thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Okay, I'll be sharing the cheap dividend stocks in alphabetical order. And the first in the list is Albemarle Corp, ticker ALB, the world's leading lithium miner that also covers bromine and catalysts, and are a chemicals company that operates in a bunch of verticals, including electrical vehicles, pharmaceuticals, and the oil and gas industry, to name a few. My one-year fair value target price for ALB is 330 bucks, which is about 28% higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who have it at 325, which is almost 26% higher than today. ALB has a very low 0.62% yield, a baby 7% payout ratio, a mediocre 4.3% five-year dividend CAGR, and is a dividend aristocrat with 28 consecutive years of dividend increases. Now, some people feel that lithium is topped out, but at the same time, we see new gigafactories being built which will need lots of lithium supply. We see governments putting more and more incentives in place for EV vehicles, including battery production. Heck, you'd have to be living in a hole in the ground not to see the global push towards more EV cars. So while some might argue that Albemarle's price has run away from it and that the demand for key revenue driver in lithium is lessening, another camp sees that Albemarle has room to keep running, leading to great results. Okay, let's move on. The next stock in the list is Archer Daniels Midland, ticker ADM, a consumer stables company that procures, transports, stores, processes, and merchandises agricultural products around the world. So it deals with corn, wheat, peanuts, vegetable oils, sweeteners, etc. It was founded in 1902 and is one of those quote-unquote boring companies that pays dividends. My one-year fair value target price for ADM is $100, which is about 23% higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who have it $101, which is 23% higher than today. ADM has an OK 2.22% yield, a great 20% payout ratio, an OK 5% five-year dividend CAGR, and is a dividend aristocrat with 29 consecutive years of dividend increases. Some people feel ADM will perform well as food prices remain elevated and high commodity prices drive up earnings, while others feel that commodity prices are starting to come down and that will drag on their numbers for some time to come. Okay, moving on, the third of 10 stocks in this list is Bristol-Myers Squibb, ticker BMY, a healthcare pharmaceuticals company with well-known products like Eliquis and Plavix, both blood thinning agents. My one-year fair value target price for BMY is $85, which is about 21% higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who have it about $80, which is 15% higher than today. So I'm a bit more bullish than analysts are. BMY is a nice 3.26% yield, a great low 28% payout ratio, a nice 6.9% five-year dividend CAGR, and has a good 17 consecutive years of dividend increases. BMY's pipeline looks good, and it has some very nice revenue-generating products, and I feel that its relatively low price and potential for upside looks pretty compelling to me. 
A key risk for them could be if the government steps in to regulate drug pricing and profits. And it concerns that they have some debt right now, a lot of which came from some acquisitions in 2020, but they've been slowly paying things off. Another concern to be aware of are patent cliff issues with some of their drugs, which is something pretty much all pharma companies have to deal with, but can be real risks to top and bottom lines. Okay, let's move on. The next cheap dividend stock is one I own in British American Tobacco, ticker BTI. BTI recognizes that the world is changing in regards to people's health concerns, and so they're focused on being more responsible to enable their customers to have enjoyable and less risky products. Thus, BTI has commercialized heat-not-burn tobacco products, which have been growing quickly around the world. Since stocks obviously face tons of headwinds, from more health-conscious populations to more stringent regulations, all of which can materially impact their earnings. For example, New Zealand just introduced legislation which would make it illegal for anyone who is currently aged 14 and under from ever being able to legally buy cigarettes, and their goal is to make their entire country smoke-free by 2025. Their new laws will not restrict vape sales, at least for now, and some New Zealanders are swapping their habits from cigs to vapes. So investing in companies like BTI have some real risks you shouldn't discount, though I personally am fine taking that risk for income generation now, but would caution younger investors to look elsewhere. Since stocks like BTI also face geopolitical risks from the current Russian-Ukraine war, though that's a relatively small impact to their total revenue. All of these risks have caused some big ETFs and funds to drop since stocks, so that's something else to be aware of, all of which provides downward pressure on prices. And then you also have currency issues to deal with, which means people in the US have seen our dividend payments gone down, even though the company hasn't decreased their dividend, and in fact recently did a 6% hike, which I mentioned on my Twitter account, at GenXDividend. Please take a moment and follow me on Twitter if you haven't yet, as I think you'll enjoy my tweets. Like yesterday I posted a tweet that said, Diet Coke has been my favorite soda since I was a kid, and today I also love my huge Coke and Pepsi dividends. And I linked to an article that just came out and said that drinking Coke and Pepsi leads to larger testicles and more testosterone. Buffett has been drinking Coke his whole life, just saying. I also tweet interesting things like this one I did a few days ago about how in 2022, Blackstone CEO's compensation package was $1.27 billion, of which over a billion of that came just from dividends since he owns 230 million shares of the company. And I asked the question, think he likes dividends? To poke fun at any dividend haters out there, which is truly a strange thing to feel given that a significant portion of a stock's returns come from dividends. Unfortunately, those haters probably don't look at people like Blackstone's CEO to try to understand why some truly wealthy people love dividends. I mean, the wealthiest American in history, John D. Rockefeller, loved his dividends. He would have an inflation-adjusted wealth of about $400 billion right now, which would make him wealthier than anyone including the Vanderbilts, the Carnegies, the Fords, the Musks, the Gates, any billionaires out there. And Rockefeller is well known for having said, Do you know the only thing that gives me pleasure? It's to see my dividends coming in. Now, while that is a somewhat bleak perspective on life, it also should maybe be a wake-up call for people who poo-poo dividends. But hey, no doubt Rockefeller was just too stupid for loving dividends. Look, there are two ways that companies return wealth to shareholders, those being dividends and buybacks, with dividends being now intangible, and buybacks being something that can help you if the stock price goes up and you sell. And while your ownership goes up when buybacks happen, unless you sell, it's just unrealized potential. Now that doesn't mean you should invest in something blindly because it has a dividend, but it's foolhardy to also blindly avoid dividends or actively dislike them. Anyways, back to the show. My one-year fair value target price for BTI is $60, which is about 55% higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who have it at $48, which is about 48% higher than today. 
BTI is a great 6.8% yield, a 65% payout ratio, a good 5.6% five-year dividend CAGR, and have 22 consecutive years of dividend increases. Note, the CAGR and number of consecutive years I listed assumes we're talking about the default British currency, which the company operates in. Okay, let's move on. The fifth of 10 stocks is another I'm long in, and that's Chevron, ticker CVX. Chevron and gas stocks in general did quite well last year. CVX is up 8% in the last 12 months, which is pretty nice, especially when you compare it to the SP500, which is down 8% in the last 12 months, which means Chevron has outperformed it by 16%. My one-year fair value target price for Chevron is 190, which is about 17% higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who have it at 189, which is about 16% higher than today. CVX is an okay 3.7% yield, a nice low 30% payout ratio, an okay 5.8% five-year dividend CAGR, and are our dividend aristocrat with 35 consecutive years of dividend increases. In fact, a month ago I shared on my Twitter how Chevron announced a 6.3% dividend hike along with a $75 billion stock buyback program. I love it. Now, oil is a very cyclical industry, and it has a variety of risks to be aware of, from macroeconomic factors like supply chains, the pandemic, the Ukraine war, etc. And even though I think oil will stay hot for a while, I wouldn't blame you for selling and taking profits. Okay, let's move on. The next stock on the list is Enterprise Products Partners, ticker EPD, an American midstream natural gas and crude oil pipeline company, which is a master limited partnership, aka MLP. Watch my video called BDCs and MLPs and REITs, oh my, to gain a greater understanding about MLPs. The TLDR is that MLPs are their own business entity type that you should understand before investing in them, kind of like REITs are their own type. MLPs often fund growth through external debt and equity issuances. Generally speaking, MLPs don't owe any income taxes and pay out almost all of their cash flow in the form of distributions, which is their version of dividends, and one nice thing about them is that their yields are often higher. They also have some tax complexity to be aware of, as you get a K-1 form rather than a 1099, and instead of you being called a shareholder, you're called a unit holder. MLPs may incur something called unrelated business taxable income, aka UBTI, that could be taxable even if you hold it in a retirement account, so research it more to fully understand the implications. I personally would just hold MLPs in a taxable account myself. Anyways, even if you receive no cash distributions, your taxable income will include your share of the MLP's taxable income. You need to track your tax basis carefully with MLPs, as your basis is decreased by the amount of cash distributions you receive, which are classified as return of capital, aka ROC, and is increased by your share of MLP's taxable income, or decreased by your share of the MLP's losses. This is kind of like tax-deferred distributions in the sense that you don't pay full tax on your distributions until you sell your shares and realize a gain. So the ROC portion of a distribution, rather than be taxed right away, instead decreases your cost basis, potentially all the way to zero. At that point, the distributions are taxed as long-term capital gains, just like qualified dividends. When you sell an MLP, then the government will recoup those deferred taxes because your capital gain will be larger by the amount of your cumulative ROC. Anyways, most energy companies have been doing pretty well given the bull energy cycle we've had recently, and EPD has also benefited from those tailwinds. Of course, you need to decide if you're an energy bull or bear, both of which have cases to make. My one-year fair value target price estimate for EPD is $30, which is about 16% higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who have it at $31, which is about 22% above today's prices. EPD is an awesome 7.59% yield, and we don't use payout ratio for MLPs, kind of like for REITs we don't. Instead, a common metric to use is called the distribution coverage ratio, which is basically a measure of how much money the MLP has left after paying their distributions. 
A distribution coverage ratio of 1.0 means that the MLP paid out all the money it had for distributions, and a 2.0 coverage ratio means that the MLP paid out half of the money it had available for distributions. Here are EPD's self-reported ratios, and we see a 1.9 for 2022. Note that DCF here is distributable cash flow, not discounted cash flow. Also, instead of PE, you might want to look at price over distributable cash flow for MLPs. Anyways, I've spent too much time talking about all that, so let's move on, and you'll see that EPD's 5-year dividend CAGR is a low 2.5%, but have an awesome 24 consecutive years of dividend increases, and my gut tells me they will hit 25 years if they do an increase in 2023, which I'd guess they will. Thus, I think they'll become an aristocrat this year. Nice. Speaking of REITs, we come to the seventh stock in the list, and that's Medical Properties Trust, ticker MPW, a healthcare REIT with an astonishing yield, which also means be extra careful. MPW owns hundreds of hospital properties around the world, with 61% of their beds in the U.S. My one-year fair value target price estimate for MPW is 17 bucks, which is a ton higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who have it at 15.88, which is about 58% above today's prices. I see a lot of upside potential, but there's also risk with MPW. It has a ridiculous 11.26% yield, a 3.9% five-year dividend CAGR, and 10 consecutive years of dividend increases. One of the risks often mentioned about MPW is that they have too much concentration and too few clients, which causes uncertainty in the stock and pushes price down and yield up. Like if core clients can't cover rent for whatever reasons, then it's a bigger impact to MPW's financial situation. Another reason the stock has been pushed down so much is from short sellers. Plus, multiple analysts predict a dividend cut is coming soon. And on top of that, I found an article about a law firm looking into whether MPW made inaccurate or deceptive statements or omitted material information that could have been important to investors. Apparently, a week ago, Medical Properties Trust publicized its financial results for the fourth quarter and full year of 2022. The company acknowledged a loss of approximately $171 million on four properties rented out to Prospect Medical Holdings and declared a proposal to eliminate approximately $112 million in rent that had not been billed by the same client. Concerns have been raised by research reports regarding the sustainability of some of the company's major clients, including Prospect Medical Holdings. As a result of this news, Medical Properties Trust stock fell more than 8% in the same day. And if Prospect can't pay rent, that won't be good. Then I found another article, this one from Viceroy Research, titled Medical Properties Distrust, where they talk about how MPW focuses on distressed tenants and how they inflate their assets and potentially are engaging in fraudulent behavior. So is MPW over leverage maybe doing some sort of accounting tricks? Or is none of that material and this is just a super cheap stock? Time will tell if this is an amazing time to buy and get income, or if it ends up being a bad investment. I'm too conservative to take that risk, but some of my best investments have been going in when others fled, and also some of my worst happened when I did that. Right now, MPW seems to be at a large margin of safety discount relative to how the market normally would value a REIT like this, given its FFO multiple. I mean, even if they went sideways with no growth, then I'd still rate them with a larger multiple of cash flow than they were priced today, but if there is material accounting fraud, then that can break a company. So if you have a good diverse portfolio and you have a few percentage you allocate to riskier things, then this might be worth considering if you want income potential right now. With big risk can come big rewards, but big losses as well. Something to think about anyways. Okay, moving on to the eighth stock of 10 and we have National Fuel Gasco, ticker NFG, a diversified energy company that explores, develops, processes, stores, and transports natural gas and oil. They are somewhat uniquely positioned being an integrated player in the gas vertical, which can help them deal with the environment of fluctuating commodity prices. My one-year fair value target price for NFG is $75, which is about 29% higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who have it at $68, which is about 17% higher than it is today, so I'm more bullish than analysts. 
NFT is a decent 3.29% yield, a nice 30% payout ratio, a low 5-year dividend category of 2.6%, and are a dividend king at 51 consecutive years of dividend increases, but have been paying dividends every year since 1901. Amazing. When crude oil prices recently spiked, National Fuel Gas sold its California oil drilling business to focus on its natural gas production operations closer to home in Pennsylvania. This year they're focused on building up a stronger balance sheet with their nice low cost structure, as well as they're focused on enabling growth while dealing with ever-changing natural gas prices. So when gas prices go up, NFG benefits, kind of like how when oil goes up then companies like Chevron benefit. Okay, moving on, the next stock in the list is Verizon, ticker VZ. Telecoms have been an out-of-favor industry for a while, which has helped suppress the stock. Companies like Verizon have lots of debt due to the large capital needs that are required to maintain and grow their infrastructure, and VZ is at a massive $159 billion of total debt right now, which is even more than AT&T, which is at $136 billion. I would have included AT&T in this list as being underpriced, but given they just had that dividend reduction, I didn't include them. It'd be exciting to see AT&T and or Verizon drive under $100 billion in debt and keep going down, as I think that could draw a lot more from the investor base. My one-year fair value target price for VZ is 50 bucks, which is about 29% higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who have it at $46, which is about 20% higher than today. Verizon has a great 6.7% yield, a nice 50% payout ratio, a very low 2.1% five-year dividend CAGR, and a solid 18 consecutive years of dividend increases. If you need income now, then VZ is worth considering, but if you're focused on growing from stock appreciation, then I'd probably keep looking, even though I think VZ is underpriced. Okay, let's move on to the last stock on the list before I go over the important section about intrinsic values. So the final stock today is Walgreens Boots Alliance, ticker WBA. My one-year fair value target price for WBA is $45, which is about 26% higher than it is today, as compared to analysts who have it at $41, which is about 15% higher than today. WBA has a great 5.43% yield, a nice 42% payout ratio, a mediocre 4% five-year dividend CAGR, and they are a dividend aristocrat. But they face a lot of headwinds. They recently settled various opioid claims for about $5 billion in payments to be paid out over 15 years. The settlement included no admission of wrongdoing or liability by the company. And they have their competitors like CVS and online pharmacies like Amazon and Mark Cuban's Cost Plus, all of things to be aware of. And I heard that Amazon is also evaluating starting brick and mortar pharmacies, which could further hurt WBA. At this point, lots of people like to go to Walgreens for stuff. And now that WBA is providing or partnering to provide primary care physicians, I think that will be a nice net new draw of customers and revenue potential. They're spending big bucks on large acquisitions, including Village MD, Carecentrics, and others, and have offloaded some assets to counter the debt from the deals. Bottom line, WBA isn't flourishing these days, but the question is if it's good enough for you to invest in. Are you getting in on the ground floor as something that might be turning the corner, or is WBA going to meander along and then sputter? That's for you to figure out. Okay, and before I jump into the section on intrinsic values, please humor me for a moment as I pitch a few things. First, if you get any value from this info, then please click on my Amazon affiliate link in the description of this video, and then go shopping online. As an Amazon associate, I earn from qualifying purchases, which means I get a small commission after you click on my link, and then you shop for whatever you need, and it doesn't even impact the prices you pay. Also, if you'd like any of my hilarious dividend investing merchandise, then click on my Teespring link in the description of this video, and buy one of my mugs or my hoodies or whatever. I automatically donate 10% of my merch profits to St. Jude Children's Research Hospitals. And if you order my merch and then take a picture of it on Instagram and follow me and tag me, then I'll probably share that picture in an upcoming video. Okay, now before I jump into my spiel on intrinsic values, it's important you understand that one-year price estimates can change as new information comes out. Anyways, let's talk about intrinsic values. 
Here's a picture I made to show you how stock prices and intrinsic values usually work. I'll explain the pick in a moment, but it's important to understand that there are lots of ways to value a stock, and one of the good ones that you can usually use for dividend companies are discounted cash flows, aka DCFs. There are multiple videos on YouTube about discounted cash flows and calculating intrinsic values of companies if you feel so inclined. DCFs have some weaknesses, one of which is the fact that your results can vary dramatically depending on which input parameters you use, some of which can be subjective. So don't become overconfident in your estimates and don't forget to look at relative valuations of competitors. And like anything with investing, using a variety of metrics and trends and data points usually gives you more insights rather than relying on just one i.e. supplementing the DCF approach with other valuation approaches is often useful to develop a better understanding of the value of a stock. And since the focus of DCF analysis is long-term growth, it's not an appropriate tool for evaluating short-term potential. Okay, it's important to understand that regardless of what a stock's actual intrinsic value is, the market often overprices it or underprices it, but in the long run the market gets it right as stock prices trend back towards a company's actual intrinsic value. So I like to think of a stock's actual intrinsic value like its gravity or it's a magnet as it's constantly pulling its stock price back to it. This was kind of summed up in Benjamin Graham's famous saying which was in the short run the market is a voting machine but in the long run it's a weighing machine. Voting represents how people are using their dollars to either buy or sell stock which is why a stock's price is often a popularity contest in the short run. However, in the long run the stock price trends towards its intrinsic value, which is analogous to saying that market forces slowly, but properly, price the stock, i.e. its real value is properly weighed and thus priced by the market. In the short term the gravity of intrinsic value can lose out to the more powerful forces like news headlines and world events and reddit warriors. The market often overreacts to good news or bad news, which value investors can then capitalize on. What I mean is that people often buy or sell based on emotion rather than on business fundamentals, which is why stock prices can do seemingly crazy things in the short term. But in the long term, gravity and physics and reality wins and stock prices trend towards actual intrinsic values, which are based on business fundamentals. That concept is super critical to understand if you want to be a good investor. It helps explain why certain things can be overpriced or underpriced for years, as stocks are popular or unpopular for years. But eventually business fundamentals win. If good growth comes, eventually the stock will respond. It can take a long time for people to forget about hated stocks or beloved stocks, but eventually the idea of the company performs or doesn't perform. That's why you can see a crappy stock shoot up for a while, or a solid company trade in the dirt for a while. Your goal is to be able to identify when quality companies are cheap and then buy if it makes sense to you. Or perhaps sell if things are too expensive, it all depends on you. Another gravity example I like is that dividend income is like the fuel or the thrust of your personal rocket, a rocket which is trying to break free from the gravity of your expenses. Once you have enough fuel and thrust, aka dividend income, to break free from the gravitational forces of your expenses, then you blast away from your old life on earth and you can fly away faster and faster into space with the freedom of your time. Okay, now back to the picture. The blue line is the intrinsic value, i.e. my target price, i.e. it's a magnet or it's gravity which is trying to pull the black line, which is stock prices, towards it. In this example you can see an intrinsic value estimation that goes up and down as time goes on and is slowly trending up like most quality companies tend to do over long periods of time. The black line, aka stock's price, tends to fluctuate wildly based on short-term news and headlines. The ideal time to buy a stock is when it's underpriced, which is represented as areas of red where the stock price fluctuates under its intrinsic value price. Now if your strategy is to buy and hold for generations, then buying at any stock price can work out. 
it's just that your returns will be less than if you buy when something is on sale, and it can take materially longer to get a good return if you just invest whenever. Similarly, the best time to sell is when it's overpriced, which is any period on this graph along the areas of green, because those are all times when the stock price is higher than the intrinsic value. This example chart could represent 20 years or whatever of stock prices, so you need to understand that something could be underpriced for years or overpriced for years, but stocks eventually tend to drive towards real intrinsic values, which you can calculate with discounted cash flow calculations and sometimes by analyzing price to earning trends. Of course, a low P.E. ratio doesn't automatically mean a stock is undervalued, and a high P.E. ratio doesn't necessarily mean a company is overvalued. But a 15 P.E. is often a reasonable valuation for most, but not all companies. So as earnings go up, then stock prices tend to go up, broadly speaking. A conclusion you should draw from this picture is that the difference between a stock's current price and its estimated intrinsic value becomes your investing opportunity. Assuming you believe the intrinsic value is a good estimation, and those who do invest like that are known as value investors, since they are transacting based on some form of fundamental business analysis, which attempts to calculate a stock's intrinsic or book value. Book value and intrinsic value are two ways to measure the value of a company, and there are a number of differences between them, but basically book value is a measure of now, and an intrinsic value leverages forecasted estimates of the future. And don't day trade thinking you can guarantee a stock's movement based on any of this. I'm telling you where I think stock prices will trend over time, which is basically useless for day traders. Thus, this is meant for buy and hold investors. It also means that when I share stocks which I feel are undervalued, it means I think it will just be a matter of time until they revert back to their proper intrinsic value trend lines, though I have no real expectations of price movement in the short term. Okay, now I'd like to call out the Patreon aristocrats who have joined since my last video. So thank you Shakas, thank you Doubter Forever, thank you Windy91, thank you John S, thank you Ghostwagon for signing back up, and finally thank you Tiny Brown Dog who signed up for a year, which means he gets a 10% discount. Aristocrats gain access to my dividend spreadsheet product that I use in my videos, and they get to be in multiple private channels on my dividend Discord chat server, where I let my upper tier Patreons watch my videos before I release them publicly on YouTube, as well as they get to vote on which thumbnails I use for my videos, and of course they get more direct access to me. And if you made it this far in the video, then please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. Finally, I highly recommend that you join my free dividend Discord chat server, which has thousands of dividend investors on it from around the world. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.